Okay, guys, we're going to look at Lesson 27, but I'm going, to, I'm going to do a little bit of an addendum to our lesson today because in light of everything that's happening in Japan, I thought this would be a good point to talk to you about the, the difference between the confirmation of prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy. Confirmation of prophecy and fulfillment of prophecy. What do you mean? Why are you going to do that, George? What's the purpose of that? Well, if you listen to a lot of the gurus, the prophecy gurus, the people who are really into prophecy, and they have television shows about prophecy and all of that, they will tell you, oh, this event that happened is a fulfillment of prophecy. How many of you have heard that kind of thing before? You know, I've heard that kind of thing 20 years ago. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is coming back. Well, it's 20 years later. Jesus hasn't come back. And really, when you say that kind of thing, that things are a fulfillment of prophecy, really, there only is one fulfillment, when it happens. So when you start pointing to things, it kind of discredits everything else. I think the better thing to say is, is that things are a confirmation of prophecy. So, for instance, let's talk about what's happened in Japan. It's interesting. A day afterwards, the scientists realized, through GPS, that the coastline up there moved eight feet. The earthquake caused the coastline to move eight feet. Here's what else they determined. The Earth's axis, you know, the Earth is on an axis, shifted four inches. How many of you heard that? Now, when Aceh, the earthquake happened in Aceh a few years ago, it only shifted a quarter of an inch. So the Earth's axis shifted four inches. So when you look at the sky, it's not going to be evident to you with a human eye, but the things in the skyline have shifted four inches, whether you realize it or not. Now, you say, now what does that have to do with prophecy? Well, remember when we went through the different judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, remember they said what? Great earthquake? Things shifted into the what? The sky. Even to the point that there was a third less light and so forth. Now, what does that have to do? Well, what does Japan have to do with prophecy? It is not a fulfillment, so let's stop right there. So if you hear some guy saying this is a fulfillment of prophecy, they're off their rocker. However, it's a confirmation of prophecy. Do you understand the difference? Now you say, how does it confirm it? Well, what we're seeing is, is, okay, here's a huge earthquake. It causes the whole earth to what? Shift. So that's possible, folks. That's very possible that in the future, when the judgments happen, that when there's this great earthquake, it's going to cause things to shift in the sky. Why? Because it's shifted our earth. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what we see is, through the events that we see on the news, they're not fulfillments because there's only one fulfillment when it happens. It's rather a what? Confirmation of prophecy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So like when you read about that there was this meteorite or asteroid that was so close to the Earth, again, that's not a fulfillment, but what? A confirmation when you read about stuff falling out of the sky and wiping out a third of the seas. So does everybody understand there's a difference between fulfillment and confirmation? So when guys say fulfillment, they're off the rocker. 
There's only one fulfillment when it happens. But rather, it is a confirmation of what is to come. Does everybody understand the difference? Everybody understand? Okay, we're in lesson 27. We've seen the return of Jesus Christ in chapter 19. We've seen that the Antichrist and the false prophet are immediately, they're captured and immediately thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, there's not even, I mean, it's not, it's not like there's going to be a big trial or anything. They're thrown in. So then we come to chapter 20, in verses 1 through 15, and what we're going to see here is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ in a great white throne judgment. We're going to see the millennial reign of Jesus Christ and the great white throne judgment. So here's what I want you guys to do right now. I want you to notice with me verses 1 through 3, and we're going to see the binding of Satan. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, that he should not deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. All right, so let's talk about the binding of Satan. First of all, John sees a great angel with a key to the abyss and a large chain. Now, let's stop for a minute. Remember, we've already talked about the abyss before. The abyss, we know from the New Testament scriptures, is like a prison for angels. It's kind of a prison for angels. And we've already seen that before Satan was given the key to the abyss and he opened it up and there was a demonic plague on the earth. Remember, it tormented it tormented people for three and a half months. So what we see now is that John sees a great angel come, and he's got a key to this very same abyss, and he's got a big chain. He's got a big chain. This great angel takes Satan and binds him with the chain. So obviously this is, you know, this is not a physical chain. It's not you can't go down to the gates hardware and say, where's the Satan chain that we can use to, to bind him with? No, it's not, it's not a physical chain. This is obviously some sort of spiritual chain that this great angel binds Satan with. Okay, so you're not going to pick this up at the local hardware or at Lowe's. Okay, so the great angel takes Satan and binds him with the chain. Now, here's how long he's going to be bound. So he's, he's going to be cast into the pit, into the abyss, and here's what I want you to see. Satan is bound for a thousand years and cast into the abyss. So he's going to be bound for a thousand years and cast into the abyss. Now, why is he bound? Why? I mean, because you're probably sitting there thinking, okay, I don't understand. Jesus comes back. He's victorious. The Antichrist, the false prophet, they're cast into the lake of fire. I mean, he's it. King Jesus is in control. What's going on here? Well, I want you to understand, God has a plan for everything. And there's some reason God still has a plan for Satan. And in his plan, he's going to bind him for a thousand years, and it says that he's going to be release him later to serve another purpose. 
So what happens is, is he's bound right now. There's a reason why he binds them. And so Satan is bound. Satan is bound so that he cannot deceive the nations. Now, we know from Scripture that right now Satan is a liar and an accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies and accuser of the brethren. We also know from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the reason why people don't understand the gospel, the reason why when you share the gospel with others and they don't understand about your Jesus nor do they want to have anything to do with your Jesus, the reason why they can't see it, Paul very clearly says, is that their eyes are blinded by who? Satan. So Satan's role right now ultimately is to deceive humanity concerning who? Jesus Christ. When he is bound for a thousand years, he can't deceive the nations. There's no deception going on by him at all during that time. So a thousand years without deception. So then I want you to notice now we're going to see the resurrection and the reward of the martyrs. These are the tribulational martyrs. Verses 4 through 6. I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads and on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Okay, let's take a look here. John sees the resurrection of the righteous dead as they reign with Christ. John sees the resurrection of the righteous dead as they reign with Christ. So he sees in the future, when Jesus comes back, he's won the victory, Satan is bound. He sees basically the resurrection of all the righteous dead, of all the martyrs specifically from that time. Now, here's what's going to happen. He says the wicked are not raised during this thousand-year reign. So those who have died without Jesus, during this thousand-year time, they're not raised up from the dead. Just those who know Jesus. And here's what he says, and here's another blessing. Those who take part in the resurrection will be truly blessed. Those who take part in the resurrection will truly be truly blessed. Now, just here... In verses 1 through 6 is really all that the book of Revelation talks about as far as the millennial reign of Jesus. So, based upon this, I just want you to understand, when Jesus comes back, he's going to... We know a lot more about the millennial reign from the Old Testament. Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah coming and establishing a thousand-year reign. We're not going to get into those. I just want you to understand that Jesus is going to come back He's going to win the victory. Satan is bound. There's a resurrection of all the righteous dead. That's all the believers. They're rewarded. And there is a reign on this earth for a thousand years of Jesus. And we know from the Old Testament it's going to be perfect. 
So when you read scriptures like the lying laying with the lamb, and it's not lunch, that's the millennium. When the child is able to stick his hand into a snake hole and not be bit, that's the millennium. That's when Jesus reigns. Satan is not free to do his thing. Now, at the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan is released. So let's look at that, verses 7 through 10. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived him was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, let's look at the final doom of Satan. First of all, Satan is released to deceive the nations against Christ. So here he is. He's, he's been released. And once again, he goes around and he deceives the nations against Jesus. King Jesus now. You understand, Jesus is reigning. Jesus is in control. It's King Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem, reigning the world. And Satan is released to deceive him. Now here's what happens. The nations gather against the saints and are destroyed instantly. It's not even a battle, folks. Because they're deceived by Satan, they're going to gather themselves together. In fact, how many are there? Does the Scripture tell you how, how, many, how many people gather themselves against the saints in the holy city? More, I mean, you can't, how many of you can number the sand? You can't even number the sand in New York. That many people are gathered together, and guess what happens? Is it a big war? Fire comes down from heaven, and what? Immediately consumes them. There's no battle here. Immediately, fire comes down from heaven, and immediately they're consumed. And then verse 10 tells us, Satan is cast into the lake of fire for eternity. That's his final judgment. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You might be scratching your head and thinking, oh, okay, I don't understand. I don't understand. Why? I mean, he won the victory. The wicked are killed. He sets up his kingdom. He should have just did away with Satan, period. But then he releases him. People are in the judgment. Why? You know, I've thought about this a long time, and here's what I've come to the conclusion. When you look at the Scripture from the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, all the way to Revelation, okay, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, here's what you're going to see throughout the Scriptures. It kind of flows through the Scriptures that God is testing humanity. Adam and Eve were tested in the garden, were they not? How'd they do, folks? Not too good, did they? All right? All right, so then a new order is established, Adam and, and of course, the, everybody after that, all the way up to Noah. How did they do by the time of Noah? How, how good was humanity towards God by the time of Noah? Only one family. And they were wiped out. 
From the time of Noah up to Abraham, how, how's humanity doing? Not too good. So he picks one guy, Abraham. From him comes Isaac and then Jacob or Israel, the 12 tribes. God diverts his attention to a nation called Israel. How did Israel do, folks? Not too good, did they? Jesus comes, establishes something new. That's the mystery of the Old Testament. The church. Now, let's be honest. How's the church doing? Of course, we see then, tribulation happens. Now, then Jesus comes back, establishes his kingdom. King Jesus is in control. He's there. How do they do? Not too good, did they? See, this, I think, is what you're seeing is God testing humanity. But out of that multitude of humanity that rejects, God has for himself what? A remnant. You understand what I'm saying? If you understand the remnant from the Old Testament, God preserves for himself what? A remnant to worship him. You understand what I'm saying? So I think what we're seeing here is just a test of humanity, and this is the final test. You mean What do you mean the final test? Folks, when King Jesus is ruling and the world is perfect and he is in control, you mean to tell me people still don't believe? Yes. Now, what does that mean for you and I? Because here, have you ever, oh God, if you would just do this, they would see that you're real and they would believe. How many of you have had that kind of thought? I've had that kind of thought. Let's be honest, haven't we? Folks, even King Jesus being in control, they're not going to believe. Isn't that awesome? That's, I mean, it's not awesome, but that's just mind-boggling to me. That's what the millennium is about. Because as soon as Satan is cast into hell, let's look at verse 11 through 15. Everything, time ends. We mean time ends. Okay, they're going to understand we exist in time right now, right? Do you understand? I really believe that time is part of the curse, part of the fall. Because when death enters into it, everybody has a time limit. So I believe time is part of the fall. And so now at the end of the millennium, I think time ends, we move into eternity. And at the beginning of moving into the eternity, you've got to deal with the wicked. So what we're going to see in verses 11 through the end of the chapter is the great white throne judgment. So let's look with me. Look at verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, and whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up death, the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his work. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, let's talk about it. Verse 11. John sees a great white throne and the terrifying one who sat on it. Folks, the one who sits on it. Anybody know who's sitting on the throne? Who is it? 
Jesus. Now let's stop for a moment. We have in our mind pictures of Jesus. You understand, when you have only one picture of who Jesus is, you limit him. You're limiting him. If, if the Jesus you have in your mind is the Jesus from the old picture, Jesus knocking on the door, or Jesus carrying the sheep, that ain't Jesus. Jesus is multifaceted in who he is, because he's God. The Jesus we see in this verse here, these verses here, verse 11, is one who sits on a great white throne of judgment, and he is terrifying to behold. Earth and heaven want to run away from him. Now, how many of you have ever, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but for those of you who have had to appear before a magistrate or a judge at some point, that can be terrifying, can it not? That is nothing compared to standing before the great judge himself. Jesus. Jesus. So, you know, think about this for a moment. You hear people all the time, they're slamming God, they're, you know, they're, they're, What's it going to be like when they got to stand before him? When you think about, when you read through the Gospels, and you think about the people who abused him and slapped him and, and did all this, what's it going to be like when Ananias and Caiaphas have to stand before King Jesus? Like, uh, you know, they're not going to know what to say. I mean, he's in control, and he's terrifying. So here's what happens. The book's... And the book of life are opened. That's the next thing I want you to see here. What happens is, there's two things that are going to happen here. There's two sets of books that are going to happen here. First of all, there's one set of books that really records everything that everybody has ever done. So they're going to be judged in accordance with the books of everything that they've ever done. Now, you say, why are they bothering with that? Well, because... I think God, in his justness and his fairness, is going to prove and show to everyone that they're not good. you understand what I'm saying? Now, I know today it's really culturally acceptable. I've been to a lot of funerals. I do a lot of funerals. And, and it's culturally acceptable you know, to have somebody. Everybody's going to heaven these days. Have you noticed that? What's going to happen is, is when the great white throne judgment happens and the dead are raised up, the, dead, the unrighteous dead are raised up, those who don't know Jesus are raised up, the books are going to be open and their life is going to be exposed, everything is going to be exposed from their life, and guess what it's going to show? They're condemned. But they see, there's one more book that's going to be open, and that's the book of life. And the question is whether or not their name is found in the book of life. Now, does anybody know what the book of life is? Yes, yeah, the book of salvation, whether or not you've accepted Jesus. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Let's say you and I, let's transport ourselves in our mind to the great white throne judgment. We're standing before the terrifying one, King Jesus, and the books are opened on your life. How are you doing? Yeah, if it's based upon what you've done, how, how many of you can say, I'm going to be okay? Nobody here can say they're going to be okay. Do you understand? When you look at your life, and, and, and we like to, well, you know, I wasn't an axe murderer, I wasn't a pedophile, you know, I didn't do this. Folks, 
if you've done wrong, you've done wrong. Period. It doesn't. We we're the ones who grade things. But based upon that first set of books, we're not all doing well. But when they open the book of life, is your name going to be in there? If you know Jesus, it will. That's what's important. Whether or not your name is found in the book of life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whether or not your name is found in the book of life. So here's what I want you to see. All of the wicked are judged according to their works, and they're going to be judged and found wanting. Because here's the thing, when you look at what our deeds are, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Do you understand? Do you understand? Jesus says that in that day, every idle word will be brought into judgment. Now, how many of you have said something stupid in this last week? How many of you have said something stupid that you wish you could take back? Can you? Now, how many of you have forgotten the stupid things that you have said in the last year? Now, your spouse doesn't, but you have forgotten. We have, right? One day when we stand before Jesus, every idle word will be brought into judgment. How about your thoughts, folks? Ooh. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything is brought into judgment. We don't have a leg to stand on. So all the wicked will be judged according to their works. Now, here's what I want you to see. All the forces of evil cease to exist in the presence of God. Death and Hades will cease to exist. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. Evil will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, here's what sends someone to hell. Do you understand? This is what sends somebody to hell, to the lake of fire. Verse 15 very clearly says what sends someone to the lake of to hell. All who are not found in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire. Is it, is it the stuff that they do that sends them to hell, folks? No, it's whether or not their name is found in the book of life. That's pretty serious, isn't it? So that's where we're at. Next week we're going to see the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to talk about eternity. That is going to be wonderful. When we talk about the new heaven and the new earth, that's going to be wonderful. Let's close our time. We'll get ready for the morning worship service.